Memphis, 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 Nothing but Memphis. Everywhere we go, it's Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee, the beautiful land in the world. And I'm thankful for this, this guy who tweeted and said I don't have that fire in my eye no more. That game right there was for him. That's what I do. I prove people wrong each and every night, and that's for him right there. Hi, this is Tom Izzo at Michigan State, and you're listening to Grizz 901. What is up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to yet another episode of the Grizz 901 podcast. I'm your temporary host, Nathan Qualls, was almost not your host at all today. I just got back from a conference, and my throat is subpar, to say the least. I got something in my throat starting to close up on me, but we're going to rally because we we always want to get you guys good content. We love the engagement we've been getting with you guys, and we're excited to keep going into this deep dive series. Got a really important player, one that we will see. I'm not sure that they're important, but we'll see later on the podcast for the second guy. But this first player, not one we could miss, one we had to get out on time, had to make sure we deliver. Going to be talking with Mr. Chris Ingram once again. Chris, I think we've been seeing too much of each other lately, man, but how are we doing? I'm excited to, to keep going with you. Yeah, man, we starting to finish each other's sentences. It's kind of crazy, ain't it? <laughs> I'm not sure it's healthy, but we're here. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to kind of break down Jaron and, you know, talk about his success last season and just kind of see, you know, where he's going to end up. So, you know, still still a, still a slow news cycle as far as NBA news and Grizzly news. So, uh, you know, nothing really to report, but definitely, you know, excited for what's to come. I can't believe, bro, we literally like 60 days out almost, you know, of, of camp and stuff starting. So it's crazy. It's got me pumped. I haven't even done my fantasy football draft yet. I'm already like, oh, wow, the NBA is coming. So that, that gets me excited. But, no, I am excited to be talking about Jaron with you today. We were looking at the player efficiency ratings. Let's see, we're talking about with some slow NBA news. Another Grizzly popped up on those power forward rankings. Uh, we're looking for a contract for that guy. So, King Kleiman, waiting for you to get that done. We we want to see our guy BC back in Beale Street Blue this year. But excited to get to talking with you like we were saying about Jaron. And also, just as a little bit of teaser, we will be having a new team member joining us for the second part of the podcast. We won't get into who that is yet. We'll do a proper introduction when he hops on, but super excited for that too, to be talking about our second guy. But Chris, it's time for you and me now. We're going to be talking about Jaron Jackson Jr. So obviously before we get into anything, we want to talk about his production from last season, what it could look like for this season, what his potential impact could be where you're landing on it, you're going to be the one doing a deep dive on him. So between that and my voice, I'm going to try my best to shut up. I don't know. I haven't taken my Adderall today. We'll see where that ends up landing, but we're going to do our best. But before we get into any of that, we need to address the injury situation. So obviously, Jaron played, I think, the most amount of games he's played. I think it was 72 games this season, um, this past season, sorry, and healthy the entire season and made an obvious impact for the team. I mean, him being on the floor, just obviously they were their best selves when he was able to stay on the floor. Now, he wasn't always able to stay on because of foul issues, but it was really encouraging to see him stay on and not have any kind of health issues, right? But he comes into the offseason, and sure enough, a month, two months in, he's having foot surgery because of a stress fracture, which is just not what you want to see as a Grizz fan. And I'll be honest, it raised – a caution flag for me, not a red flag, but a caution flag for me, because to have a guy with his injury history come into the offseason and then all of a sudden 
he's played a full season, but now he's got a stress fracture after playing a full season. I'm like, are we ever going to be able to get him for a full season and it not be detrimental to his own body? You know, so um, obviously a little bit worried about that. But like I said, yellow flag, not red flag. I think we'll be okay. But Chris, with the injury stuff, I don't want to talk on it for too crazy long, but are you in yellow flag, red flag, or green flag territory? It doesn't bother you at all. Where are you landing on the Jaron injury heading into this season? Oh, uh, you know what? For me, a lot of this Grizzly stuff, the more I put my phone down and don't get on Twitter, the more I just sit back and think about a lot of stuff and just reflect on the last, you know, three years, a lot of stuff is just starting not to bother me no more. You know, after this season, I know I was pumped up. And, like, you know, a lot of Grizzly fans were, you know, a lot of people had, you know, some strong emotions about stuff as far as, you know, how things could have went different during the playoffs. Uh, you know, things could have went different this offseason and stuff like that. But for me with Jaron, you know, just looking at the numbers, if you go back and look like, like you said, this was Jaron's most amount of games played. Uh, it actually was 78. So he only missed four. Think about that. That's crazy. He missed four games in an 82-game wow. season. That's crazy. So for him, I believe he was the actually the most available player we had this year. Um, he didn't, you know, sit a lot of back-to-backs and, you know, uh, he didn't have a lot of rest games and things like this. So I was proud and happy for him from that standpoint that he was able to put together the season that he put together with no injuries throughout the year. Um, so, you know, comparing it to his second season, which, you know, you can, it's a case that can be made. That's been his best season so far productive wise. Um, he only did 57 games that year. But again, that was a that was a bubble year. That was a COVID year. And so that's the only thing that I think that a lot of times we forget that season got cut short. And then they go into the bubble and then Jaron gets hurt in the bubble. But the bubble was played late in the year. And so when he gets injured like that and it's late in the year, that injury, that time frame is just it, it seems like it was a longer time looking back on it. But it was really a short period, you know, as far as him being out. And they just took the, you know, the long game as far as, you know, waiting on him to come back from that injury. They didn't want to rush nothing back. So it makes the 2021 season look like it was, you know, a waste because he missed so many games. He didn't come back to the end of the year. But it was a shortened season because of the time frame of the bubble and everything. So outside of that, you know, his first year, he only played 58 games. Second year, 57. And this year he did 78. When you look at it outside of that anomaly of the bubble year and after that, like he's been here a while. It's just we've played three seasons and it feels like almost a year and a half. It feels like so it seems like he's been out longer than what he has. Uh, but for them to say that, you know, he's going to only be out for four to six months. You know, it, that was announced in June. That puts him if it's the four month mark that puts him right there at the beginning of the year. And if it does push him back to you know, Christmas time, I'm OK with that because we still got him for a bulk of the season at that point. So. Uh, I'm not really worried about it, man. And we just gave him a lot of money, you know, a five-year deal. I'm ready to see what a 22-year-old Jaren is going to look like going forward. Yep, I'm with you. And that's why it was only a yellow flag for me, not a red flag, because he's he has been playing, I think, improving quite a bit season after season. And when you look at it, he actually has played more than people think, especially with last season, right? The fact he's available all season is super encouraging. But – the history does give me a little bit of a pause, but that's part of what, like you were saying, being a fan, you get emotional. That's part of it, getting caught up in the emotion of the season, the hype of the season. But also it's healthy to take a break from Twitter and take a step back and look at what actually is going on, not get too caught up in it. But 
that's enough for the injury stuff. Let's jump into the actual production. So like you were saying, this past season for Jaron, the most available player for the Grizzlies, which was awesome. And it made a huge difference. Like we were saying, there's a huge impact that was very obvious to see when he was on the court versus when he was off the court, which is why fans got so frustrated when he would get into foul trouble. But I think that we are well-documented saying there are a lot of different improvements that Jaron can and needs to make heading into this season. We'll see what the injury was able to happen, but moving forward in his career and his trajectory needs to happen with last season. There were ups, there were downs, but as a general overall view of it, where did you land on this past season? Cause personally I was pretty impressed. I was very happy with his last season, but I want to get your view on it before I get on my soapbox. Yeah, uh, you know, going back to, like I said, just being productive. First of all, I'm going to start with the fouls. He did work on his fouling this year. That was a big thing because, you know, with him playing 78 games, we need you to be on the floor. So, uh, you know, he, he knocked his fouls down. Matter of fact, ever since the second year, he's been dropping them every single year. So uh, if he can continue to work on that, and that's the thing with this injury, like, yeah, he's not going to be able to get in the gym and work on those core things that I feel like he needs to work on, um, which for me is mainly footwork and post moves because he's a super athletic guy, but he doesn't really use his athleticism under the basket like I feel like he should. Um, But, you know, and some other things as well. But, you know, foul trouble, if he can sit there and watch film and just say, okay, this is where I can grow, this is where I can improve on, you know, keeping my hands up, not getting my, you know, getting caught in the cookie jar like they say. Stuff like that. I mean, he he was really, you know, productive from that point. Um, he doesn't need to bulk up. He's the biggest. I feel like he needs to be. He's able to take contact offensively and defensively. It's not really too many players in the league that can bully him down low when he's playing them defensively. Um, the only thing that really, you know, was a kind of a red flag a little bit was the three-point shot. And he was so used to making it in the past couple, you know, these past couple seasons. Uh, when it wasn't falling, he would keep trying to, you know, shoot through it. And so, you know, I don't blame him because he, he he's shown that he can make it. Like, I remember when he hit those, I think it was five threes against Giannis his second year. I was like, whoa, we got a sniper that's seven feet. This is crazy. So, I mean, he's shown that, you know, he can make it. He just had a, a down year at 32%. Um, but I just want him to, you know, once he's able to get back into the gym, focus on, like I said, you know, his, his post moves. I've said it about, you know, Kenny Lofton, and I've been saying it about Jaren since he's been here. With Zach Randolph in Memphis, you got, you know, you got personal access to one of the best post players that don't really need athleticism down low. So if he can ever get back to, you know, I remember his rookie season, Jaron, and I believe it was just because of role, you know, with him being a rookie and you got Marcus all down low, you got Jermichael Green, I believe, was still here at that time. They was putting him, you know, down low sets and he was actually taking advantage of his, you know, of his mismatches down there. Um, and then he started hitting his three-pointer. Next thing you know, he kind of shied away from it. So, you know, I would say, man, please reach out to Zach Randolph and get with him, you know, like you did with KG that first year. Learn from him. Get some skills from him because if he adds that to his game like we saw in the second round, when he finally, like, started committing to taking, you know, advantage of his mismatches, Golden State didn't have nobody to stop him at all. And so, I mean, everything else, I mean, it's going to come together for him. And he's only 22 years old. I was talking to um, to my guys over um, at um, I'm forgetting that the podcast is, is leaving me right now. Let's be real; those are my guys over there. Um, 
start Vive. That's the podcast I was on with them. They got two of them. My bad, guys. But um, we were talking about how Jaron, you know, after this next year, you know, it was kind of like a prove a year for me with him. But again, sitting back and reflecting on it, he's only 22 years old. And I'm going to talk about that, you know, a little bit later. But like, I don't want to get rid of him. You know, his injuries, I think he can sometimes, you know, at some point figure it out. You know, it took Steph Curry a minute to get his ankles together. Uh, some other players had injuries starting out, Joel and B, other players, stuff like that. So I'm not giving up on the 22-year-old just because he's not a, a superstar yet. Like, he's got tremendous, you know, potential. And, I mean, he's already been super productive for us as he is. So even if he stays where he is, you know, which I don't see him doing, I'm glad that we got him and I hope we can, you know, ride it out. Uh, for the rest of his career, you know, with Jaron on our squad. You took the entire control of my soapbox. Everything you said is exactly what I was thinking, man. I mean, <laughs> and the biggest thing really is to me, the 22 years old, people forget he's younger than John Morant, right? It's it's really hard to think about that because obviously he came in. It feels like he should be almost a veteran at this point, but he's 22 years old. This is the first year he might not have grown. I'm not positive he didn't grow this year, right? And when someone's growing like that and they're going through the entire NBA season, which, listen, you and I, we were both athletes. We've been through this, and we were never doing it to the level they were doing it, but it just takes a toll on your body any kind of in-season sport, right? In basketball, it's night in, night out. So give the guy's body a chance. And with that, part of what you're talking about, his development should help with that, right, which is developing the post move. Now, with a three-point shooting, I am I'm with you. He shot pretty poorly last season. It was evident he didn't have it. I'm not super worried about that. I think we have a big enough sample size to see that that is something that will come around. He's probably not what he was his sophomore year when he's, you know, getting close to forty percent from deep. He's but he's definitely not thirty percent where he's been hovering around the past two seasons. One obviously being the shortened season from the meniscus injury. So. I think that'll even out. All we need, really want from him as fans is to be probably a 35-ish percentage three-point shooter. That is plenty for his size, but the biggest thing is his size. And exactly what you were saying, he has to be able to exploit those mismatches. Now, he is uber-athletic. This is something you and I were talking about before the podcast. We'll get into it here in a little bit, but his athleticism is one of his biggest strengths. Obviously, he's an athletic big man. That being said... I don't want him to go to that little runner layup all the time. I don't want him to have to be taking guys off the dribble all the time. He's seven one, probably maybe seven foot two at this point, seven foot at the least, right? He's so long. I mean, he's got arms all the way down to his ankles. It feels like you've got to be able to work in the post. You've just got to be able to develop that move. Exactly. Like you were saying is one of my biggest things. I was hoping he'd get this off season. So, Hopefully, he's still able to develop it. I know there was videos coming out of him working on it before he had to have his surgery. So there's still the chance that can happen. But all that to say, that will help with his injury stuff, too. Because using your athleticism when you're seven foot, it's great that you can. That's a lot of wear and tear to be constantly leaving the floor and having to come back down. The impact on your knees, your ankles, your hips, it's just a lot to have to take. And being able to stay with the Jokic one inch off the floor, the Zebo one inch off the floor type of move that helps your body so much with impact. I know personally, I've got hip injuries, right? What can I do with my hip injuries? Run because of the impact of that, right? Just a simple act of running can take a huge impact toll on your body, much less 
jumping up and down, being as athletic as he is when you're seven foot tall. So that's one of the biggest reasons I wanted him to be able to develop that, that post move is because I think that will help with the injury aspect too. It'll take less wear and tear on his body. But other than that, you really took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned why I thought that would help with the injury stuff and that post move, but really that's, that's all I had. So awesome. My voice gets to take a little bit of a break. So we'll go into more so that, the next thing, what's most important, what Grizz fans, what Grizz Nation really wants to hear about, which is, okay, what can that look like for him going forward, right? And I know you had a lot to look at with um, not just generally general stuff based off his past production, but also comps to stars that also may have had some slow starts in their careers, like you were saying to me before the pod. So take a sense a little bit of those comps that you're looking at. I know you maybe mentioned another former Spartan in that. This You'll see, guys, this is going to be a big Spartan podcast and probably a big Spartan week is what we'll hint at later in the week. But, Chris, take us into some of those comps that you had for us. So everybody that I'm about to mention, the good thing about them, they're NBA champions. So, you know, if Jaron is able to live up to these comps, then the Grizzlies, we're in a good spot. That's for sure. Um, So I was looking at some things and, you know, obviously we were talking about the injury history and things like that. So for me, I'm going to throw out that 20, that 2020, 2021 year because he only played 11 games before the playoffs. We only were in there for the first round, and he still, you know, he he wasn't himself. Even though he averaged 14 points, six rebounds a game, it, that wasn't Jaren. So I'm going to throw that one out. So technically, Jaren has only had three seasons in the NBA at 22 years old. Sounds about right, you know, for most players. So if you look at Giannis, Antetokounmpo, I hope I pronounced that right. I tried my best. Uh, Pascal Siakam and Draymond Green, they're all three NBA champions. That's number one that they all have in common. Uh, The second thing that they have in common is that it took them four years to come into the player that they are. So let's look at just a little bit with Pascal Siakam, right? Comes in 2016. Now, the only thing with him, and I know it's a running joke on Twitter and, and just in the NBA period, I'm not sure really how old he is. Like, I know he's listed at like 28, 29, but I don't know if that's true or not. So, you know, take what I'm saying with him with a grain of salt. But I know it's been some trade rumors with Siakam maybe coming to Memphis. So, hey, if he comes here, I'll be glad to have him. Uh, But it took him three years. So his first year, he gets drafted 2016. He he plays 55 games and averages 4.2 points a game. Uh, only played about 15 minutes. He was, you know, he's a rookie, just kind of getting acclimated to the game. Second year, he makes a quote-unquote jump to 7.3 points a game, jumps up about five more minutes per game. That third year is when he started really coming to his own, and uh, that's when he averaged 17 points per game, seven rebounds a game, and he just, you know, he started to put it all together. He was you know, a three-point a, a three make per game, and I may be wrong – Yes, I'm, I was about to say, I jumped myself. That's not the year they won the championship. Yes, it is. My bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, the year after that, full all-star status, 22, uh, basically 23 points a game. And then we know he you know, basically became a household name from there. It took him four years to come into the full form of what he is, what we see right now. And his production has pretty much stayed to that point, um, you know, from there up until now. So let's go to Draymond. Same thing. It took him his fourth year, even though that third year when they won the championship, um, he took David Lee's spot, which, again, you know, Steve Kerr, 
I got my thoughts about him as far as him taking over a, a team that was really already built. But he did make some gutsy decisions that paid off. You know, him starting Draymond over David Lee, which was a, you know, uh, established player at that time. Uh, you got to give him his kudos there. And then also getting, you know, uh, Iguodala to agree to come off the bench. Those are two moves that really led them to, you know, actually start that dynasty that they have right now. So kudos to him. But uh, that third year, only averaged 11 points per game. But that next year, he jumped up 14 points per game, you know, was able to fill it all out, eight rebounds a game. I mean, 10 rebounds a game, I'm sorry, and then almost eight assists. So that's the Draymond that we see not today. You know, he's he's fell off a, little, a lot. Uh, he's averaging almost a triple single. That's the joke, you know, that we always talk about. But it took him about, again, four years to get acclimated and get into his body. And neither one of these guys that I've mentioned so far are not the athlete that Jaron is. They don't. Ha- they didn't have the tools that Jaron had coming out the gate. It took them a minute to put it all together. Um, I know even Pascal Siakam, he spent some time in the G League. So, like, you know, again, let's just hold off with Jaron, you know, comparing him to these guys. Now, the last one, which he gets a lot of comparisons to, just because of his size, his ability to do a little bit of everything, is Giannis. Um, Giannis came in skinny, frail. People were surprised he even got drafted where he got drafted at. Um, and averaged only about seven points per game his first year. You jump up to almost 13 in his second year, third year, 17, and then that fourth year he exploded to 23 points per game. Like, again, you when you're comparing body types, you saw him bulk up, you saw him add things to his game. He was a little bit of, of a better shooter, looked like his when he first came out, even though his percentages looked a little lower. Um, but he was a much better shooter up until last year he started to put it together. But um, again, it took him four years to get to where he is. So I say all that just trying to give y'all numbers and perspective of if you look at Jaron and you throw out that COVID year, like I said, he's basically going into his fourth year, even though it's technically it's his fifth. If he makes that jump from 16 points a game to a 20 to 22 point per game score, we're going to be losing our minds in Memphis. Just imagine, like, we already see what he does now. And everybody's like, man, he's a unicorn. He's, you know, he's the future. He's this, he's that. He was already, a, you know, the block leader in the whole NBA last year, made, you know, all defensive first team, not second team, not third team. I don't even think they have a third team, all defensive. But um, he, he's he got a lot of promise, man. I, when you compare him to those guys, like I said, they multi-time all-stars. Um, you got champions. You got MVPs. You got all this stuff wrapped into these guys over here. That, and they, he's outside of Giannis, athletically and, and just talent-wise, He's above these guys, and he can get to a point where Giannis is if he continues to work on his game. And like we just said, you know, earlier, just staying healthy. Now, you know, again, I don't look at health as a point. I think, you know, he's not as bad as what, um, you know, Joel Embiid was early on. I think he'll be able to get it together now that his body should be starting to settle in. You know, like you said, he may have grown a little bit this offseason. We don't know, but hopefully he'll stop so he can just get used to what his body is. But um, I see all that to say, man. I'm just excited to see – where he ends up, you know, in the company of these three guys, because again, you know, if he puts it all together with everything that he has, I think he can take it a step further. If not, you know, um, past Giannis, he, you know, close, you know, but definitely, you know, he should be a lot more productive than, you know, a Giannis, I mean, not a Giannis, a Pascal Siakam and a Draymond Green. So that's where I see him. Where do you, where do you see, you know, Jaron going forward? Not quite Giannis, but I think that, one of the things before I even get into where I think I see him landing is 
just with those guys you were talking about the comps with, their progression was not always linear either, right? Like Siakam especially, you know, they won that championship with Kawhi. That was the year he really came alive. And then Siakam sort of struggled the next season, I think because a lot of people expected him to be the guy in Toronto, right? And he just wasn't able to succeed like he was the year before. And people were asking, okay, can he do it without Kawhi? Can he do it having to be the guy? And listen, he's obviously not led Toronto to a championship or anything like that, you know, but he's able to start to find it again this past season, right? And he's able to develop, you know, it's been, there's the peaks and the valleys and you kind of go all the way in between, you know, it's not just the desert train tracks. And so that's something to expect with someone like Jaron, you know, these really big, long athletic guys, there's a lot of move, literally moving parts, right? You know, that have to come together. And it's not always going to be just this straight path that you expect with some guys and developing and sometimes in other sports, you know, but this is basketball. You no, know, it's a very fluid sport. And that shows in the development of players. But I am totally with you on those comps as a whole. That's exactly what I see with Jaron is okay. He's going to continue to develop. I don't see him being necessarily a, a Giannis, right? There's certain things that if Giannis is able to shoot even somewhere north of 30, 30% from three for the rest of his career, that's pretty terrifying. Um, I think Giannis Damn. probably, uh, or um, I don't know, probably definitely more athletic than Jaron, but he's the only one on that list, right? I think one guy that you didn't mention, um, probably because he hasn't won that championship yet. And it's been a little bit of a different path. than Jaron is Bam Adebayo, who mm-hmm. I think is pretty similar to Jaron, you know, very athletic, very long. I think Bam has probably learned how to control his body a little bit better than Jaron and stay within himself, but almost to his detriment, right? Bam almost stays within himself too much where you have guys like Jimmy Butler saying, you need to go do this. Right. Whereas, Jaron, I think because of his lack of an offseason and most of these most of his career has been, okay, I need to push it. Well, I got to push it in season because this is the only time I'm on a basketball court, right? So um 100% with you with all that. Um the Draymond comp, I, I think is there as far as the the path of what he could be on a team where it's like, okay, you are the compliment to the star, which Clay Thompson, obviously for Golden State, is the second splash brother, but it's been pretty well documented. Draymond's a linchpin, right? Draymond's sort of what keeps that offense going. Um, maybe less so as he started to sort of drop off a little bit. We'll see. He might go to Detroit. That'll be really fun to watch if he does. But no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that that will be Jaron's path. You've got to give him the time to do it, though. And I think that most fans after this past season, when he's in defensive player of the year conversations, made all NBA Defensive team, you've got to they, – they're sort of on board with, okay, we're going to give him time to develop. Um, but this was going to be sort of a make-or-break type season for Jaron and a lot of fans' minds with the injury. We'll see where that lands. But with those comps, with those comparisons to championship-caliber players, where do you think Jaron will end up this year with that injury? Right, Because in my head, that threw a little, little bit of a wrench in my expectations, like I was just saying, of where I thought he could end up being. But do you think that he is able to take a leap this season? Do you think this is a season that he starts to have that Siakam, okay, this is who I am, put the pieces together, add just one more trick to my bag, two more tricks to my bag to really keep defenses guessing? Or do you think we get another year of Jaron trying to – 
figure it out midseason. I mean, where do you have him landing as we head into the season, depending on where you think he's coming off that injury? So uh, I'm going to preface everything I'm going to say right now. Uh, it came from a tweet. Um, and it was one of the it was a it was a Grizzlies, you know, basically media member uh, that got a response to a tweet they put out from somebody. I don't it, it could have been one of those trolling profiles. I don't even know if it had a profile picture. It was funny, but uh, brought up a point. And when I first saw it, I was like, uh, I don't know if I believe what you just I don't know if I if what they say, picking up what you're putting down. Um, and basically the response was relax. You know, we don't need to make a lot of moves because our main three core, you know, all the top five players in the league. And they, the person was talking about Job Bang and Jaron Jackson. And so when I first saw that, I was like, OK, yeah, obviously, Ja, you know, he could be one, number two, maybe number three, you know, top uh, point guard in the league. If you're throwing Luca in there, which I still feel like that's unfair. He needs to be what he is like LeBron was a small forward. But anyway, um. This, you know, after the season that he had, you can make a case that he's top 10, maybe not top five yet. But, you know, we'll see what happens just next year. I could be, you know, changing my words. Uh, but Jaron, I was a little iffy on because I was like, eh, I don't think he's top five yet originally. But then I started looking at some stuff. I'm like, oh, well, you could possibly make a case. Um, and so, you know, some of the things that I started to look at was just comparing him to players because we all know, like, it's, it's rumblings that, you know, the, the front office and even some of the, the fan base wants him to play the center position. But um, like we talked about before on the Stephen Adams podcast, I think for him to always maximize what he is, you're going to have to have that type of bruising type center next to him and maybe give him a, a hybrid type role where he, you know, he, he switches over mid game. Uh, but depending on how the, the game ends, he, you know, he's either going to be at the five or the four, just depending on what we need. Um, so, um the big thing for Jaron next year, and I think for him to take that step, even kind of going back to what we were just talking about, comparing him to those other three guys, and even, you know, I can even go throw Bam in there and Cat in there as well. He's going to have to up his minutes to get the production that those guys get. Because last year, he, I mean, he was only at 27.3 minutes a game. And all these other guys are anywhere from 32 to 35 minutes a game because they're those franchise cornerstones. They know that for them to win, they got to be on the floor. And so he's going to definitely have to up his minutes for him to get, um, you know, the production that I believe he needs to solidify himself as a top five player. Um, but, you know, just kind of looking at, I'm going to do a, a quick rankings, right? And again, I'm going to preface this by saying these players that I'm about to list off, they are not traditional centers and they're not traditional power forwards. Those, the, 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 I guess, I don't want to call it a tweener, but they can kind of go back and forth between those two positions. So I'm going to throw them out there to you. You got Giannis, Draymond Green, Julius Randle, Carl Anthony Towns, Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, Evan Mobley, Sabonis, Jared Jackson Jr. And I can't remember if I threw Draymond in there. Those are basically the top at, the, at that position to where, you know, mainly they're at the four, but, you know, depending on situation, they may scoot over to the five for a few minutes of the game or if injury makes them, you know, do that. If I'm going to rank him in that, let's just say top 10 in the league, I'm going to go Giannis number one, obviously, superstar, finals MVP, champion, all that. I mean, nobody can dispute that. AD went healthy, which is funny because we're talking about injury history with Jaron. Uh, I'm going to put him second if he's healthy and he's got a motor because he hasn't really shown much since that bubble year. It seemed like he got that championship and kind of relaxed. 
But if he gets back to that dog mentality like he had before he left New Orleans, I think he, you know, it's hard to argue him not being number two. For me, I'm going to put Siakam number three because he's a champion. He's solidified. You know what you're going to get with him every single night for the most part. But where it gets kind of iffy for me is the number uh, four, five, and six spot because, bam, what he showed, kind of funny going back to the bubble year, Bam was all over the floor until he got injured. So it's hard for me to put Jaron over him right now because when you play that Miami Heat team, you know Jimmy Butler's number one, but right behind him, you know for sure you're going to get something coming with Bam. And so I got to put him number four, but number five, I'm tied with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Carl Anthony Towns, which is so funny because everybody know I don't respect Cat at all. Like, he... <laughs> Hey, if y'all can't see right now, but Nate just got up and left the podcast. <laughs> Bro, I'm going to let you keep going just because I want to be able to have – I'm going to be able to put you on mute and then go in when you're done. But keep going. Keep going. I told you I had a surprise for you. But, again, just looking at production, looking at skill set, I don't respect him when it comes to us playing them, but the, the guy does have talent. And so I'm going to put him, you know, tied with, with JJJ right now just because of everything involved. Do I think he can take that leap above Cat? Yes, and I'm hoping and praying he does because I gladly eat crow on this list. Um, but after them two, depending on where you put them at, five or six, you know, then I'm talking about Sabonis, um, Mobley, um, Randall. Actually, I'm going to switch Randall and Mobley, and then I'll put Draymond at number 10 just because he's a champion. you got to respect him. I don't think – He's going to ever get back to his peak years. I think he's done in that regards. If he wants to go back to Detroit and just help them try to get some things together and be a leadership in the locker room, you know, more power to you. But that's just, you know, looking at the top 10 at that position. I mean, it's hard to say that he's definitely not top five. You can make a case for all those guys. But like I said, if he can up his minutes with the production that he's already getting, I think his per 36, if you kind of like just look at those, you know, technical numbers and stuff like that, his season last year, it bumps him up to 22 points per game. It bumps up his rebounds to eight per game, and it bumps up his blocks to three a game. Um, that's pretty good. I mean, that's almost an all-star player if he keeps up, you know, what he's doing already. So I think maybe, you know, depending on how this injury goes, everybody's saying it's not something that you really need to worry about. I think he's going to be fine coming back this year. It gives him time, some, you know, just to rest, and it can, you know, basically give him a little bit more time in the season. He shouldn't have to worry about resting like he didn't last year so i don't know man i, I think jaron you know i was a little iffy looking at that tweet at first but i think i think he can be top five within the next two years at that position so what you thinking i already know you're mad about that cat comment so go ahead and let me have it <laughs> i don't even know what to say the cat thing listen all right i'm gonna do objective first to be completely objective if we're going off of production to this point in their careers, what they've accomplished so far and where they are as players so far, I can get, I can get behind you having cat ahead of Jaron. I can have you one, two, three, four. I have cat at five. If we're doing that, the same thing. I don't, I, cannot, I don't respect cat. We'll get in that in a second, but to be honest with that, I have, Almost everybody you mentioned ahead of Jaron, though, right? If we're going off of production so far in their careers, I mean, Julius Randle is probably the one that I would have at 10 and put Jaron at nine just because Randle 
I, I'm, I'm unconvinced I wasn't a flash in the pan type season. Um, I think, and you could argue Jaron has had the same thing from a defensive standpoint, from a three point shooting standpoint. So, based off that, yes. But if we're going based off where he can land and we're looking at, okay, this is the potential of what he can be this season, who I would want on my team moving forward, right? Bro. I want someone who knows how to win basketball games. I don't want someone who puts their hand up through the lips to shush you and it looks like they're trying to pick their nose but get a little bit of lubrication off their top lip while they do it. Man, Cat does not know how to win basketball games. He does. And what are we talking are we talking about this past production? Are we talking about who we want on our team, Chris? I'm looking at past production. That's it. I mean, if you bring up his stats. That's the only thing that puts him in this conversation. Don't bring cat. Don't try and bring cat respect on this podcast ever again until Daniel comes back. Daniel might be down with that because he's silly like that. But no, I can't do it. Never again. Well, I can't I have it for you. Why are you going at that? You really putting Jay? You you really putting Jaren above? I mean, below Draymond and, and Evan Mobley? As far as per, their what they've done so far in their careers, yes. Oh no 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 really? not Mobley not Mobley not Mobley. I'm sorry. I, I didn't think oh. about that. Yeah, I got Mobley. I would have Mobley there, so I'd have Jaron at eight. So I forgot about Mobley on that list. But Draymond, yeah, I mean, what Draymond's done so far in his career is at the top of this list, honestly. I'd have him – no, I'd have him below Giannis, but I'd have him above AD and Siakam for sure because he's contributed more to championships than that. Giannis carried his team to a championship. So I would have him being the number one player on a championship team that lacked any of the kind of talent Draymond has around him. I would have him above Draymond. Other than that, I mean, I know AD is a better player, but Draymond's contributed to winning more, in my opinion. And, and at the end of the day, that's that's what I'd bring it back to. And when I look at moving forward, who I think can contribute to winning, I have Giannis, I have AD, and then it's a toss-up, but I'm going to take Jaron. And the toss-up is actually between Bam and Jaron. They're not Siakam and Jaron for me. Siakam, I think, is awesome. I'm, I'm 100% with you on he knows who he is. But as far as who can contribute the most to winning, I think it's Jaron Hansen. I think Jaron could leapfrog AD by the end of his career if he's able to put the pieces together. Now, he's a long ways away from that, but I think he has the pieces to. I don't think he has the pieces to get anywhere beyond Giannis. I don't think many people in the league have the pieces to get anywhere close to Giannis, to be completely honest. Um, he's just, I mean, he's the Greek freak. He's there for a reason, but I would have Giannis, AD, Jaron, Bam. I'll put Siakam there for now because we haven't seen enough, but it's real tight between him and Mobley as far as who I'd have looking forward. I'm a huge Mobley fan. I love Mobley. I think he is going to be awesome. So um, there, and then I would probably put, I'll probably put Draymond still for the near future. Sabonis, yada, yada, yada. I really don't care about the rest of the list after we get to past Jaron, so I'll just leave it at that. But I can see Jeremy in a top three. Let's, uh, get To get back on track, the cat thing derailed me. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm real passionate <laughs> about a few things. One is I uh, do not respect Carl Anthony Towns as a winner. The other one is I don't like to give Steve Kerr credit for anything, so I'm not positive he deserves it. Chris has done both of those things on this podcast, and I couldn't let the second one slide. But I could easily see Jaron being a top three Big power forward in the league. Um, I could I could 100% see it. I could see him passing AD, like I said, just because he has the potential to 
have the outside game like AD, which has always been AD's ability to shoot more so from the mid range than from three, but ability to shoot has been huge. And his defensive link, Jaron already has accomplished one of those, right? So at some point, he's going to realize to never put his hands in the cookie jar and keep him up. He's going to get there. I can't imagine where he doesn't. The rest of it, he has all the tools. He's a post move away. I said it once. I've said it a million times. He's a post move away. If he puts that together, I think Giannis is the only one. Truly, I think Giannis is the only one who'll be above him at that four spot. Um, this is a question if it, if he will. I, I I don't know what would keep him from doing it, but so far in his career, something has, right? So it's not a guarantee, but I have him there at number three. Moving forward, I would have zero issue putting him anywhere between five or two, though. But top five, I could see it, right? He has to earn it. I'll say with regards to that tweet, he's not there yet. He, he hasn't reached that point yet, you know? So um, I have a feeling I know exactly who it was uh, doing the Twitter back and forth because I may or may not have unfollowed some people due to some, um, what's a family word, complaining on on the, the Twitter app. But um, we'll, we'll stay away from that. But yeah, he does have to prove it in all seriousness. He's not top five yet. Could he be by the end of the season? Yes. I don't think he will be, to be completely straightforward. I, but I think he'll be top 10 in the position by the end of the season. I think he puts it together. But with that, are there any kind of final closing thoughts on that? I know I sort of derailed us with my uh, my emotion. I've had coffee and not Adderall, so the focus factor is not necessarily there. My throat is somehow staying open, but doesn't feel like it. <laughs> so with that, to close it out, any closing thoughts after I completely derailed this podcast? No, I'm with you, bro. Um, I, I got my Saturday morning workout. I got my Celsius, so I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I'm 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 kind of off the rails myself. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like the thing that's going to always propel Jaron to the next level, no matter what. We can talk about minutes played. We can talk about post moves. We can talk about staying out of foul trouble. We can touch on everything as far as the talent. But at the end of the day, I've talked about this before on previous podcasts, and this is always going to be my number one thing for Jaron. Um, it's just going to be his motor. And when I talk about motor, just talking about that, that want to – to go out and dominate his opponent. Um, a lot of times you'll see him, you just get to a point where he's just relaxed. He's he's watching John like all of us are a lot of times, but he has to realize that I am the mismatch on the floor. I had the tools to put together and be one of the best Grizzlies ever, but he has to really feel that down deep down and, and go out there and show it. So when he puts that all together, man, with the motor that he, he needs to have that I think he eventually will, will get there, it's going to be hard to, you know, to to not put him in the top five consistently every single year. So, uh, obviously, you know, I'm rooting for him like we always say on this podcast. We're going to be, you know, objective and we're going to be honest about these players. But at the end of the day, we want to definitely, you know, support them and, and let them know that, you know, that we're 100 percent behind them and want to see them do well because we fans of the team. So, um, yeah, man, that's all I got. And uh, we'll see what happens. But definitely look out for that article coming out this next week, guys. And uh, we appreciate y'all support, as always, throughout this summer and going forward into next season. Yeah, man. With the motor thing, I think that comes back to him being 22, right? He's only 22 years old. There's a lot of emotions at 22. I know for me, when I turned 25 and I looked at my 22-year-old self, I was like, oh, wow. They were not wrong. My brain was for sure not fully developed. I did have a couple head injuries in between those years, but I still – there's a lot of maturity, a lot of growing up in those years. And I think that he has a super high motor. I think he always gives you a ton of effort. It's just a matter of being able to breathe in the moment and not get caught up in those emotions. But 
100% with you, man. And like you said, we always want these guys to succeed. You know, anytime we sit there and we say, hey, we want a trade request on Twitter, we want to see these guys get moved, whatever. As soon as they're in Bill Street Blue, it doesn't matter who they are. Even if it was Patrick Beverly, that's any towns, I would have to go on a bit of a retreat to get over. But we want them to succeed, right? You're in Bill Street Blue. You're our guys. We want to see you succeed. And like we said in the last podcast, can't emphasize this enough. These are human beings, right? This is purely about their play on the court. Does not have anything to do with them as human beings unless we point out something very, very specifically. But all that is going to really apply to this next guy. So Chris is actually going to be hopping off on us right now. So Chris, thank you for joining us, man. Thank you for being here. I'm kicking you off now because we're going to change the format a little bit. So we we found that having two guys on the podcast for these deep dives specifically gives us a chance to really go in depth. And so we're going to be addressing this next guy, Xavier Tillman, by bringing on one of the newest members of the Grizzly team, Jesse Elsie. Jesse, it is about time we had you, man. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on finally. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be hopping on. It's always a good day when you get to talk Grizz hoops, so excited to talk a little bit about x yep and jesse is going to be doing some writing for us here at grizzly he's actually going to be doing the xavier tillman deep dive which is why he's going to be the one talking with us today about x and it's it's pretty fun because jesse is actually in his car right now he is mid-trip but making sure he finds a way to get on the podcast for us it's cool because it kind of sounds like you're phoning in it sounds like the old radio broadcast where you have someone phone in it's going to be the perfect sound for the rest of this but as Chris was saying, it's a pretty good transition into this podcast that if a guy is in Bill Street Blue, we are rooting for him. And with Xavier Tillman, it is no secret that I myself, uh, I think Chris might have said this as well on one of our recent pods, but don't necessarily think that Xavier Tillman is long for the team. And that's not a knock on X as much as it is a knock on his fit with the team and the way they're going to be playing moving forward and the personnel they currently have. You know, they have Brandon Clark. You got Jaron. It's it's hard for me to see X having his best, most optimal future with the team, but that's going to be fun because I know Jesse has a little bit of a disagreement with me on this. Uh, it's going to be interesting to talk about because I think we're going to give each other pushback on your first ever podcast. So a lot of times we're pretty polite to people who aren't named Daniel Greer, but we're going to see. Throw, throw it into the fire here, but I want to get your thoughts. So I really have... That, that's been most of my analysis on Xavier Tillman. I haven't done a bunch of stat deep dives or anything like that. So I'm really going to pass it off to you, uh, starting with, I guess, this past season, just to stick to form, because why not? This past season, what are you thinking about X as far as, I know a lot of people thought he didn't have much of a role in this team. I certainly didn't think he had as much as I thought he would have, but get into it, man. Just just take us on a ride. Take us on the X ride. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, good uh, good background there. I'd It'll be interesting to see where we go along this uh, Xavier Tillman ride. But just looking back at last year, I mean, we have to remember he's a second-year player. And sometimes I think we might get a little bit uh, over-expecting on what second-year players can do because we had another player um, who was second-year player, Desmond Bain, who took a huge leap. And, you know, that's not super common in the NBA. So with the big leap that Desmond Bain took, it kind of caused us to look a little bit less positively at the trajectory that Xavier Tillman's had so far. Did he take a step back? Yeah, he did. But a lot of players take a step back in their second year. It's so common. You know, it's the sophomore slump. It's a thing that is pretty well documented and we see in the league pretty frequently. 
Um, so I'm not terribly worried about him long term. Now, another point that you brought up, I also don't think Xavier Tillman's the perfect fit on the Grizzlies right now. But I think for you know the next two or three years, while, while Jaron Jackson Jr. is figuring out how to play the full-time five and if we can figure out the Brandon Clark contract situation, I think he's a serviceable option um, in the meantime while we're figuring out what our next step's going to be. If it's going to be to keep Steven Adams long-term to play that big-time five position or if JJJ wants to figure out how to play center full-time, just having this solid option as a backup um, that can come in, produce good minutes when he's available. Like, and speaking to that, you know, in the playoffs, he hadn't played for – I think it was 15 games, and then he hopped in the playoffs and gave us some really good minutes against uh, Minnesota when Steve-O was out and Jaron was in foul trouble. So I think we need to temper our expectations and not, you know, be ready to kick him out and move him on. But I do think uh, with the opportunity that Xavier Tillman has coming up, I think he can re-earn the hearts of some Grizzlies fans. Yeah, and one thing that I will 100% agree with you about is his limited role last season could really have contributed to that sophomore slump, right? It's so hard to get into any kind of rhythm when you're not getting the minutes. And what happened his rookie season was, one, Brandon Clark was trying to expand his game, which hurt his confidence and stuff he was good at. But two, BC was injured, and so X sort of had to step in, right? And when he had to step in, he was able to get into a rhythm. His free throw shooting was much better than it was this past season. His three-point shooting was much better than it was this past season. Everything was much better just because yeah. he was able to get in a rhythm with actual minutes. And so I am 100% on board with you with that. That being said, with regards to the playoff thing, I do push back a little bit because – he came in, he gave us really good minutes right right off the bat. And I think that's something that we've come to expect from X. He's Mr. Reliable in that, in that way. But it was sort of a one-game type thing, and then you were able to sort of scheme for him, you know? And I think that's my biggest pushback on X is he is what he is. You know, he's going to be able to get in. He's sort of a, a small ball center type guy, but he's probably best suited at the four. And – other than that, if he's at the five, he's going to get out-rebounded. He's not so athletic he can move with everybody, but he's able to move his feet well. He's a very good fundamental guy, but he's not necessarily going to take a huge leap. But I know you may disagree with that, right? Because I know you've got one comp in your head that might be pushing back on that a little bit. I just – I'm not sure I see it, but I want to hear your argument for it. You've only given me the, the baseline of it. So what's your argument with uh, what he could be even after a slow sophomore season? Yeah, so um, pretty pretty well documented that he's a high IQ player, and there's another high IQ player that um, came from Michigan State that I think uh, is a pretty good serviceable comparison, and that's Draymond Green. Uh, we've talked about him in a couple of different podcasts now, but his impact kind of goes a little bit beyond the stat sheet. You know, you look at Draymond's, he's going to get you eight points, nine rebounds, nine assists pretty consistently, shoot not the best and you don't have to guard him with the three-point line um, but what he does with his intangibles and his IQ for the game and kind of uh, his willingness to pass the ball and make the right play and the extra pass and things like that um, can kind of contribute to additional stuff that doesn't always show up in the stat sheet and I think that's something that X could definitely improve on but something that he's got a little bit in his bag already is he 
is a good, willing extra passer. He's got really active hands on defense. And I think a lot of the time when we look at it, you know, his numbers aren't outstanding. He's not a super athletic guy, but he's got quick hands. He moves his feet pretty well. So he, he can defend with uh, a little bit outside of himself uh, athletically. So there's a lot of that there that I think he can just work on and getting more consistent minutes like he had in his first year compared, compared to last year. Um, I think that'll also help with his confidence and uh, speaking to the shooting percentages, he only took, I think less than 53s in both years. So with that small of a sample size, a few more makes and misses changes those percentages drastically. So, you know, getting that confidence and uh, you know, the green light or maybe not the, the bright green light, but a yellow light, you know, from uh, the coaching staff saying, if you've got it, you know, take it um, just to stretch out the defense. Cause that's going to help everybody. If the defense is stretched out further to the three point line for the fours and fives, um, that'll open the floor up a lot for job. But I think, yeah, comparing him and thinking of him on the trajectory and timeline of a less impactful Draymond Green is something that we can kind of expect in the near future here. I think he's got the potential to impact the game beyond the stat sheet by just making the right play and uh, rebounding, rebounding and uh, staying in front of his defenders or staying in, staying in front of his people as a defender. So those are some things that don't show up on the box where they're not glamorous, but they're just a high IQ play that I think he's got and he can improve on as he gets more run and more consistent run in the league. I get that. And I don't think there's any doubt he's a high IQ player. That is the one thing is he's that's part of why he's Mr. Reliable, right? His fundamentals are always there. He always steps in and he does make the right play. Like whenever Xavier Tillman is on the floor, I'm not worried about him making the wrong play. What I get worried about is him just not being able to keep up in a major role. If he if his career is okay, I'm going to step in for spot minutes. I'm going to step in and just be a role player. Great. I have no problem with that. I could see that being him a hundred percent, but if you are wanting him to step in and be the elite role player of like a Draymond green, for instance, I just, it's hard for me to see those pieces being put together, but I'm sort of with you on the, the minutes being an impact to that potentially impacting that a hundred percent on board with minutes yeah. getting away of you getting a rhythm. I, yeah, I, and I can... agree. The stars would have to kind of align perfectly for him to become, you know, Draymond green reincarnate. Um, but I think him having, you know, 15 to 25 minutes a game of him just helping the team, not hurting the team and, you know, providing a spell for Jaron Jackson jr. Or Steven Adams or whoever it is. If, uh, David Roddy becomes incredible. I know you're a David Roddy believer. So oh, yeah. if he needs to spell the two of them, the two or three of them, and just keep an, a high level of play up, I think that's kind of the expectation that I have for him long term um, as a career player. I don't, I don't anticipate him to become, you know, a major contributor to a team that wins four, four championships or anything like that. But I think he could. Yeah, it would take kind of all the stars aligning and all of the tools um, being fully mastered for him to become that. But I think realistically, he could be more of a solid role player given 25 minutes and 
kind of similar to a Boris Dio even. Yeah, and I could see the role player thing painting out. My The only thing, and again, this has been my thing with X all time, is I think that you will have guys step up for the Grizzlies that are going to be able to fill those roles more fully than X will be able to and be more specialized. I think that's the thing about X is he can sort of fill in in a lot of different roles, sort of like a Kyle Anderson he kind of reminds me of. He can just step in and do a lot of different things. But the Grizzlies more so need guys who can step in and do this thing super well, whether that's shoot the three really well or rebound really well or pass really well, whatever it may be. And X is just going to be pretty good at all of it, but not great at necessarily any of it. That being said, something that you mentioned that Jaron Jackson Jr. going to be out to start the season. There's going to be minutes to be had there. And X very well could have a chance to step in and fill in and show people like me wrong. that He's able to do stuff really well, and he needs to be on this team. There's a role specifically he needs to fill on this team. And I imagine he will get a lot of those minutes. You know, the, the rookies will get some run, but I think for the most part, you need someone solid to step in during those minutes. And X has a definite chance to do it. So with that, I know obviously you're in the camp if he's going to be able to get a bunch of minutes and do something with him. What do you see as his opportunity to start the season while Jaron's still recovering from injury? Yeah, I think there's a really big opportunity. He may not start every game. I know, I know personally, I am a believer that we should kind of go small ball and see how Dylan can run the four uh, and guard, guard fours with Dyer switching, uh, just being a more switching offense, just with the way the NBA is now with more positionless basketball, basketball, having more people that can guard multiple positions. But in those scenarios, like if we're playing Minnesota, they've got two really big guys at the four and the five when in Cat and Rudy Gobert. So I think having X be able to step in there and provide valuable minutes and maybe start rather than having Dylan Brooks try to guard one of those um, for the for his minutes, I think that would uh, be an opportunity. So I don't see him as like the full-time starter at the four with uh, Jaron out, but I kind of see him filling in needs and matchup-based starting um, if there's a big that, you know, we don't trust Dylan or Zaire to kind of guard, having him be able to step out and take the initial brunt of that uh, matchup because he is, yeah, like you said, Mr. Reliable. He's, he's going to make the right play, but I think having that more consistent minutes or having more consistent minutes is going to contribute to him, you know, having a little bit more confidence on the court and not having to try to just jack up shots. I feel like a little bit last year, there were times when he didn't know where his minutes were coming. So when he got on, he didn't always play within himself and was taking shots he shouldn't have taken or just trying to do too much. So having a little bit more structure at the beginning of the season could show us what he's been working on and, what improvements he's made because he is a young guy too. So he's 24. You never know what he's got in his bag coming up. So those are some things that I anticipate we'll be able to see early on in the year, see any improvements that he's made as well as, you know, maybe surprising some folks. Yeah. And that's a definite thing, right? I sort of call it the the Shaq Buchanan syndrome where he's like, these are my minutes and I'm going to do what I can with them, right? I'm going to get my shots up. Uh, best of luck to Shaq Buchanan, but man, every time that guy stepped on the court, I was like, y'all think Dylan Brooks is a ball stopper. <laughs> you about to find out. Yeah. I, I um, couldn't watch him. Couldn't even watch him in the summer league. I don't know why Shaq's catching strays here. Uh, didn't mean to get to that point, but, uh, Tillman in general, listen, he, he definitely has that opportunity 
with Jaron out. Like I said, I think he'll get those minutes to start the year. Um, I think we'll see a lot of rookie play, just like we did with Zaire. I think the coaches and staff will take advantage of the fact there is that position for the rookies to be able to fill in. But Tillman's going to have a role. Where it's going to be, I don't know. I'm with you on the start sort of small five with Dylan. I think I would rather have, I don't know, Zaire at the three, Dylan at the four, vice versa. It doesn't really matter. Personally, I just like to think about him guarding Carnatine Towns and giving him the work like he did in the playoffs. So love that, dream about that. But we'll see. And I, I know that there are some similarities, and we talked about this before the podcast, between like a, a Xavier Tillman and a Steven Adams. I personally think that Adams has a lot more size than Tillman and, and as far as an NBA type of size goes. And so I think that Adams, I don't think Tillman will be able to do everything that Adams is able to do, but talk to me a little bit more about that. Cause what you mentioned specifically about the screening and the ceiling does intrigue me. Cause that's a huge part of why I think Adams is so big for this team is his ability to do that. And X is a high IQ player that's able to do things like that. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So something that Steven Adams does that, you know, may or may not go unnoticed is the seal um, where he just, you know, on a screen drops down and keeps that big that gets switched on to him or the, the other guard that gets switched on to him to allow that guard an easy layup or, you know, whatever they need. But I think that's something that, you know, Steven Adams definitely has it. Daniel Tice is another player that's not super well respected in the league, I, I would say. Um, hasn't had the best career, um, but is really, really good at the seal. And it just makes a guard's life really easy. Um, getting to the hole and when we've got one of the most electric and uh, explosive guards in the league and we saw what the Steven Adams impact was um, he, you know he jumped up to over 27 points a game this year with Steven Adams so I think having players that can do that outside of Steven Adams so we have that opportunity even when Steve needs a break um, I think that's something that could be really easy to implement into X's game and it would be a huge impact offensively, even without him having any stats. Because there's not, you know, nobody keeps up the stat how many uh, successful seals um, we had. But it would really impact and allow, you know, Kennedy Chandler. I think if he gets minutes and gets run in the D in the G League, or you know, when we have to call him up, getting him some experience with with a uh, Tillman and being able to seal. I think it'll be really helpful because he is just lightning quick. And if we can kind of have a seal to keep that big away from him, it'll be really interesting to see how well they can uh, develop that connection. Um, but I, I think the seal is a really interesting part of the game that Xavier Tillman could implement that would be really effective and could really contribute to him finding more time on the court uh, long term. I've got to say that is the most excitement I've had about Xavier Tillman in about a year and a half is you talking about that because it's the, this, the seal offs probably do go unnoticed in a lot of different circles, but not on this podcast. We are huge fans of the Kiwi. And that's a big reason why is his ability to set those screens that don't get recorded the seal offs that no one ever sees that contribute to winning It's why we think he's such a big part of this team. And if Xavier Tillman could get to the point where he is doing stuff like that consistently. I don't think it'll be for the starting unit. I think that'll have to be for the bench unit, but it's the same thing. Tyus is a super high IQ player and he would a hundred percent 
benefit from having things like that set for him, as well as you're going to have John Contra this year, who is a cutter. You know, he's got to be Mr. Fundamental because he looks a lot like me, which is not impressive in an NBA uniform. Uh, obviously, much, much more athletic, much better looking. We're, we're, we're big jitty guys here as well. But having that on the bench unit would be super helpful for those guys, right? And you got Bain. Every guard on the team would benefit from that. So if X can get into that, all of a sudden, I'm starting to get on board with you. If, okay, he can fit this team in this type of role, I could get a lot more behind that. For now, until I see something like that, I'm definitely – still on the outside looking into that circle but if he starts able to do that then that's huge I mean this has got to be a high IQ team it's how they function and that would be big time for them that'd be big time for them and I I anticipate he will get the minutes to be able to do stuff like that this year um like I said I think it'd be more at the bench unit I don't see him doing a lot with the starters but I think he can be a solid guy off the bench especially with Jaron being out, you can't really stack him and Adams like you were like to last year. You need a you need that bigger guy in there to be able to handle it. And X is probably going to have to fill that role. So uh, I'm with you on that, man. Listen, you're the only person that's got me pumped about Xavier Tillman. And again, I love X. I think he is one. He just seems like a great dude. Two, he's super reliable. He works super hard. I think he does all the right things, and I wish him the best of a long career. I just I'm skeptical of it being with the Memphis Grizzlies. But if it is, because yeah. he's doing stuff like that, awesome. I'm on board. Yeah, I agree. I don't know how how long we'll have X, um, just fit-wise, um, and with the timeline. But I think if he could learn uh, some some of those intangible skills, like this field, I don't have any insider information. That that's definitely what he's been working on or anything like that. But that's kind of on been on my wish list, um, just because I think it's, a high IQ, low technique, or I guess it's a pretty high technique thing as well, but figuring out how he can implement that and make it part of his game uh, will go a long way and increase his value, you know, to the front office. And if he can pick up a few more tricks that maybe Draymond's got, that Izzo taught him, um, just, you know, anything like that, that can kick, keep him around, I'm all for. But yeah, i not positive that he'll be here for the long haul. I don't think he'll retire a Grizzly or anything like that. But while we've got him, we should, you know, teach him some stuff and have him work on stuff that's going to help the Grizz out. So I'm hoping to see uh, a more X minutes and more efficient X minutes to helping out because he does have a lot of opportunity with uh, Jaron being out that I think he can capitalize on. And I think he's aware of it as well. So I I'm excited to see what happens. I don't know if we'll get to see, you know, him reach the the pinnacle of being Draymond 2.0, but I'm interested to see what he can do. I, I'm with you. I listen. I hope he steps in and is awesome in minutes this season. I hope it doesn't take away from David Roddy's awesomeness because we are the official David Roddy fan club. There will never be a podcast I lead where that's not thrown out somewhere or another, but Listen, it's just a matter of if he's able to do it or not. And one thing's for sure, his attitude fits this team. He's got that dog in him. He's got it in him. He's good yeah. for at least one hammer dunk on somebody at least once a year. Shin Goon got it this past season. Somebody will get it this season. And that's – listen, when he gets fired up, he, he's got that quietness in him. But, man, it comes out with a ferocity when he decides he wants to do it. So, 
we're big fans of Xavier Tillman here. We are. I, it, I know it may not sound like it with the way I was talking. I know Jesse was sort of thrown into the fire. We're usually are pretty pretty nice about stuff, but I was giving some pushback. Not as much as I will when we we get a couple pods in. You got your feet on your butt. Um, we are. We're big Tillman fans. I love Xavier Tillman. I really want him to succeed with this team. I think he will succeed in this league. I just think that he's going to have to do a lot of development that is not necessarily something I see in the cards for it to be with the Memphis Grizzlies. But that being said, Jesse, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Jesse's been sort of looking forward to this. He's been on the team for a few weeks now and sort of getting his feet wet and excited to have you on, dude. Awesome first podcast with you, man. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, brother, we'll get you on a lot more here here sooner than later. But Jesse is going to be doing that Xavier Tillman deep dive article. That's going to be coming out about the middle of September, I think probably the second week of September, if I remember right off the top of my head. So he's going to be getting that stuff on. But listen, we got a lot of good stuff coming out with the Grizz on one podcast and Grizz lead. So like Chris said before he hopped off, he's got that Jaron Jackson Jr. deep dive. That'll be out either Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. So look out for either tomorrow or Wednesday. Excited to have that out. We're going to keep bringing these deep dive content to you. We're going to have Jaron. We're going to have Ja. We're going to start getting into guys like Zaire coming up soon. So super pumped to keep bringing that to you. Thank you guys again. We could not thank you enough for joining us on this ride. We have a ton of fun talking with you guys, getting you content, having back and forth on the Twitter. Keep it coming. We will have another throwback Thursday, keeping the Spartan theme going. With Coach Tom Izzo, Daniel Greer was able to interview him way back in the day when he was sort of a young man, and he'll be able to get that to you in a throwback Thursday. So look out for that. Look out for those articles. And other than that, have a good week. We will be back live with another Deep Dive podcast next Monday. Until then, be nice. Tell your friends.